be seated. Isn't it great to be able to be called a friend of God? I'll tell you, that is a privilege. This morning, I want to talk about why prayer doesn't work. Why prayer doesn't work. Now, prayer ought to work. And there's a lot of promises in the Bible about prayer. For example, Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. That's a pretty strong promise, isn't it? In Luke eleven nine, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now I want you to know, we could go on for quite a while this morning, citing different verses in the Bible that make promises just like these about prayer. And yet so many of us, when it comes to prayer, identify more with what David says in Psalm 13, verses 1 through 2. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? See, this is the real life experience of so many people when it comes to prayer. I've had people tell me, when I've talked to them about life challenges and, and, and say, well, well, have you made it a matter of prayer? I've had people say to me, prayer doesn't work. I tried prayer. It just doesn't work. So I wonder if that's true in your life. I wonder if that's the thought you're wrestling with. I wonder if, if you've asked this same question, why doesn't prayer work? Well, I'm going to give you eight reasons this morning quickly why prayer may not be working for you. And believe me, it's got nothing to do with God and everything to do with us. Sometimes prayer doesn't seem to work because we don't pray. It's that simple. We just, we're not people of prayer. We don't pray. And driving down I-75, 90 miles an hour, going past a highway patrol officer and saying, God, don't let him come after me doesn't count. See, Jesus said in John 16, 24, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. He says, you'll find out, you'll discover that prayer does work. But the fact of the matter is, we just don't pray. Sometimes we throw these little emergency popcorn prayers out and expect all heaven to shake for us. And another reason is we don't pray we don't make prayer a part of our life, our normal lifestyle. And so therefore, when we do turn to prayer, we're fumbling around with it. We really don't know how to pray and we feel uneasy in prayer. And we conclude that, you know what, I'm not a man of prayer. I'm not a person of prayer. I'm praying to God and so on. God's not going to listen to me. And so we give up on prayer. One of the reasons that prayer doesn't work is we don't pray. You got to pray. Jesus says, you haven't asked. And so therefore, I haven't been able to give you. And you haven't been able to discover the joy of a real, vibrant prayer life. Another reason is we have unconfessed sin in our life. Look what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. It says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. In other words, Isaiah says, you know, the problem, the disconnect in this prayer thing is not God. 
His arm is not too short to reach down and save. His ear is not dull. He hasn't got deaf in his old age, so he can't hear our prayers anymore. The real problem, he goes on to say, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. See, he says, there is broken fellowship between you and God, and it's because of your iniquities. It's because of your sin. See, even Jesus dying on the cross, when he became sin for mankind, cried out, my God, my God, why has you forsaken me? See, because God cannot have fellowship with sin, even when it was on his own son, let alone us. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and look what it says, and his ears are attentive to their what? Their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so often our lives are characterized not by those little sins that, that we all do every day, those little slips and those, 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 those sins that, that, that are kind of part of life. I'm talking about deliberate, willful, repetitive long-lasting rebellion against God. And when that's present in our life, the Bible says that we're not going to sense satisfaction in our prayer life because our fellowship with God has been broken. But the good news is, as we've used many times, 1 John 1, 9 says that God will forgive us our sins. If we confess those sins, he'll forgive those sins. And he'll take that weight off of us. David discovered that in his sin with Bathsheba. David cried out to God, day and night, the burden was upon you. My guilt was upon me. My, my strength was sapped like the heat in summer. He said, but then I acknowledged my sin to you. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. And we could have fellowship again. So another reason that sometimes prayer doesn't seem to work is because we have unconfessed sin in our life and therefore we have broken our relationship with God and he cannot hear. Also, many of us harbor an unforgiving spirit. You know, the foundation of the Christian lifestyle is forgiveness. Over and over again. The Bible says, forgive your neighbor. Forgive those who have offended you. Forgive your enemies. Forgive, forgive, forgive. See, Christianity is all about forgiveness. First about God's forgiveness for you and me through Jesus Christ dying on the cross for, for our sins. And then it's about us forgiving each other. You can sum up the whole Christian lifestyle by just saying, love God and love people. That's the first greatest commandment is love God. The second greatest commandment is love people. And when we harbor an unforgiving spirit, we are not following that lifestyle. The Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and reconcile to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. In other words, we know how important offerings are. We know how important gifts are, how much God talks about the tithe and about giving our tithes and our offerings to him. But he said even more important than that, in fact, if you're getting ready to give your tithe, if you're getting ready to give an offering to God, and you remember that your brother has ought against you, in other, reason, uh, other, other words, you've offended him or her in some way, before you give your offering, first go reconcile your relationship, then come back and give your offering to me. In the same manner, it says, Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty five. 25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. In other words, when you're in prayer and you remember that you have a broken relationship with someone, that something is not right, then you need to reconcile that relationship. 
before even you finish your prayer. Because if you don't forgive those who have offended you and those you have offended and reconcile those relationships, then it's a dividing line in our relationship with God. We harbor that unforgiving spirit and it can hinder the confidence that we have in prayer. In addition, oftentimes, prayer seems ineffective because we pray with the wrong motives. James 4.3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Oh, we can use prayer in a lot of ways that is not intended to be used. Two of the biggest is we use it as a manip manipulation tool. We actually try to manipulate God with prayer sometimes. Isn't that amazing? We actually believe that's going to work. Okay, God, oh God, if you get me out of this one, I promise I will attend church every week for the next three months. Oh God, if you'll help me find a new job, I promise God that I will tithe. I will give you 10%. I'll do it this time, God. No, wait, wait, God. I'll give you 15%. And we're playing like, let's make a deal with God. We, we, we think that we can manipulate God with our little prayers. Again, 1 John 5.14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything, read it with me, according to His will, He hears us. Now one of the other things that gets in the way of us fulfilling this verse, of asking according to the will of God, is we tend to use prayer as a means to selfish ends. T.W. Hunt, who is a, a leader in the Southern Baptist Convention, and, and his particular role is prayer. He's a great prayer warrior, and he'll go and, to churches and do seminars and workshops and help people to understand prayer and understand how to tap into the power of prayer. And he says this, the biggest single non-biblical aspect of American praying today is the lack of intercession or praying for others. The majority of teachings in the Bible are for intercession. The Bible tells us to pray for other people, and this is where Americans fail most dismally. In other words, what T.W. Hunt is saying is that so often our prayers as Americans are characterized for selfish means. God help me. God bless me. God give to me, God protect me, God me, God me, God me, God me. And understand, there's nothing in the Bible that prohibits us from praying for ourselves and asking God to bless our lives. Don't get me wrong in this. But the problem is, we get the ratio way out of whack. See, the Bible says, according to, to, to Mr. Hunt, that most of the Bible teaching on prayer teaches us intercessory prayer, which is praying for others. So like 80% of the time, our prayers ought to be prayers for others. And maybe 20% of the time, and I'm just making up these percentages, they're not biblical, I just want you to get the idea. We've got it out of balance, see? Too often we're praying for ourselves in our own interest rather than praying for others. Rick Warren says this, sometimes we pray selfishly, not considering at all how our prayers, if answered the way we desire them to be answered, might negatively impact the lives of others in our lives. See, in other words, we're praying for what we want. 
And often we don't even stop to consider how what we want may negatively impact other people. Let me give you a classic example. We here in South Florida in the next couple of weeks are going to be entering another hurricane season. We're getting ready right now. We know it's coming. And we're going to hear during the, the next several months reports of imminent hurricanes. And they're going to say again, this is going to be a record hurricane year like they do every year and, and all this kind of stuff. And so we're going to see some of these storms forming up out there in the Atlantic Ocean and start coming our way. And what do we do? We often pray, oh God, God, that hurricane is coming. God, help that hurricane to veer off to the northeast. You know, we do, don't we? God, God, just help it to, to just start moving east and moving north. Problem is, Jamaica's there. Haiti's there. The Bahamas are there. There's other people who live to the northeast. And so what we're praying is, God, get them. Leave us alone. Devastate their homes. Let ours survive. See, without even thinking about it, we're seeking our own desire and not thinking about how if God would fulfill our desire, the negative consequences it might have in the lives of others. And, and we can use that same analogy in many different areas of our lives. God, help me. Okay, well, if God does that, where do the dominoes fall? in the lives of other people. If God gives me what I'm asking, how's that going to impact other people? See, that's what this whole idea of praying with the wrong motives is. We need to pray for God's will to be done. And then we know we're always going to be right in the center of being correct about prayer. And then we need to be careful. We need to think about what we're praying about, especially when we're praying for ourselves, to ensure that we are not praying selfishly in a way that God cannot answer because it's not good for us or it's not good for somebody else. And then we say, oh, it doesn't work. Well, we're praying for somebody else's pain. We also oftentimes lack faith. And faith is such an important part of prayer. Over and over again, the Bible teaches us that. Here in James 1, verses 5 through 7, it says, If any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now look what it says, though. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. See, we throw up these hopes. We don't throw up prayers. We throw up hopes. We throw up wishes. We throw up maybes. The story is told of a town who had a new bar built right across the street from a church. And the bar wasn't just a bar, it was one of these gentleman club kind of things that had, had a very seedy kind of environment to it. And so the people in the church across the street were very upset that this kind of entity had entered into their, their spiritual environment. And so the pastor rallied the troops and they got together and they all stood outside and they raised their hands towards heavens and they prayed that God would destroy that bar. Sure enough, a couple nights later, there was a bad thunderstorm. And the bar was struck by lightning and burned down to the ground. Well, the bar owners, knowing they had had this prayer meeting, hired themselves a lawyer to sue the church. 
Well, the Christians, they hired themselves a lawyer to protect them from being sued. So they're in the courtroom and they're going back and forth to the bar and says, you guys prayed and burned our bar down and we can't be blamed. And they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, the judge in exasperation slams his gavel down on his bench and he says, no matter how this case turns out, one thing's clear. The bar owners believe in prayer and the Christians don't. And the truth sometimes. See, we don't pray with faith. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four again, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that, what's it say, will receive it? Might receive it? Perhaps will receive it? What's it say? Have received it. And it will be yours. It's not a hope. It's not a wish. We pray believing that God will answer, is answering, has already answered our prayer, but always with a caveat, according to his will and from his divine perspective. Because he knows how that prayer will impact not just us, but others. We also lack persistence. That's another reason that our prayer life can be anemic and it doesn't seem to work. Luke 18.7, Jesus says, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? In other words, Jesus says, what, what do you think about God? What, what kind of God do you think he is? You, you think for his chosen ones? Of course, Jesus is speaking here before his, his death and, and burial and resurrection, so he's talking about the chosen people. He's talking about the Jewish people. But we now are God's chosen people. We now have that privilege. We have that ability. We have that, that opportunity and that honor now of being God's chosen people. And so we can translate that. He says, what do you think about God? You think that God's children crying out to him day and night are going to fall on deaf ears? You think God doesn't hear that? You think God doesn't care? And the obvious answer to this is that, yes, he does. You think he'll put you off forever? No. But see, we pray with a lack of persistence. Oftentimes, we're using prayer as one of our opportunities and one of our strategies. I don't know, I'll throw a prayer up. Maybe God will answer this one. And and we we treat prayer like some kind of cosmic vending machine, you know? Put a prayer in, pull the lever, okay, God, answer it. Okay, God, do your thing. And, And we don't pray with persistence. It's not a part of who we are. And we don't pray over and over again. We don't pray until the answer is revealed. We just give up, and some of us give up right away. We throw one or prayer up, a couple prayers up, and say, see, see, prayer doesn't work. Yes, it does. God will answer. But he is keenly interested in how sincere we are in our faith that he can and will and has answered the prayer. We lack action. Love the story of Pioneer House that burned down and Again, the pastor calls all the people to the church and they're having a prayer meeting for the family who was victimized by the house burning down. And so they're all praying in the church, you know, God, this family needs you. God, this family needs provisions. God, this family needs a home. God, this family. And they're praying fervently and praying to God, that God intervene for this family. All of a sudden, they hear a bunch of noise outside. So they, they go out in the front and here's this wagon pulling up. 
This wagon pulls up, just load it down with clothes and food and, and, and seed and feed for the cattle and all that kind of stuff. And, and the guy in the wagon says, my father couldn't make the prayer meeting today, but he sent his prayers. In other words, it wasn't just in the church praying that God would provide. He says, God provide and make me a part of it. And I'm sending some stuff to get the whole thing going here. See, we often pray and we don't put any action with it. We lack action. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, and 8, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find it. Knock, and the door will be opened. He says, For whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. Whoever knocks, has the door open. In other words, we should not deceive ourselves to think that we can just throw up a prayer and we don't have anything else to do with it. Oh, God, I've had this headache. God, you've got to heal this headache. I've been having these splitting headaches for three months now. God, you, you need to heal it. You need to heal it. God says, have you been to the doctor yet? The what? Oh, God, I need a job. God, get me a job. Job, I, I need a job. God, help me find a job today. And then we go and we turn on the TV and watch ESPN all, all afternoon waiting for the phone to ring. You know, we've got to get action we got to do our part. And oftentimes, we don't think prayer works because we're just throwing it out there and we're not doing the, the, the things that we can do and should do in order for God to put us in a path to find the opportunity that we're looking for or the solution that we need in our lives. We just lack action. Well, let me give you one more. Sometimes prayer doesn't seem to work because we aren't family. Now, what do I mean? Well, understand this about God. God is the most merciful, generous, compassionate, gracious entity in the entire universe. There's no one more gracious than He. God loves us. And God hears all prayer. And oftentimes God in His benevolence and God in His love will hear the prayer of somebody who is consistently pushed him out of their life and really haven't given them any, any other time, any other devotion. And, and God will answer their prayer and, and intervene for them because of his character. But understand this. God has not obligated himself to answer the prayers of those who aren't part of his family. See, the promises of God are for his family, not just for everybody. They're for his family. And for those outside his family, God may, again, in his love and generosity, hear the prayer and, 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 and reach out and bring healing or help or whatever need is, but he's not obligated to. But for those who are his children, his sons and daughters, God has obligated to fulfill his promises. And one reason that some folks don't believe in prayer is because they're not family. And God hasn't obligated himself to answer their prayers. But the great thing about that is that God invites everyone to be in his family. In fact, the Bible says in John 1.12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, to, to some who, to a select group, no, to all. 
See, God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that we could all be adopted into his family. And everyone adopted in his family, God obligates as the Father to fulfill his promises. I wonder, have you been adopted into the family of God? Have you ever humbled yourself before the cross of Christ and understood that Jesus alone is the only path back to God. It's the only bridge over the abyss, the chasm of our sinfulness. The only way back to God is through Jesus and the cross. If not, if you've never done that, then you've never been adopted. You might be a good person. You might even be a religious person. But you're not family. Because the only way to become a child of God is to receive what he has offered Jesus Christ and to believe that Jesus is the only way. Romans chapter 10 verses 8 and 9 says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Let's bow our heads. How about you? Does prayer not seem to work for you? Have you given up on it? Would you say, I've tried it, but it just doesn't, doesn't happen? Well, this morning, I gave you eight obstacles that could be standing in the way of your confidence in prayer, of you realizing the power of prayer. If you're a believer and you are a member of the family of God, seven reasons. Maybe you just don't pray. Maybe you have unconfessed sin in your life. And you need to confess it to the Lord and turn from it. Maybe you have an unforgiving spirit. And you know there's there's something wrong in, in, a, in a re, important relationship in your life. And either because of your pride, your fear, your stubbornness, whatever, you've maintained and not reconciled that. And that unforgiving spirit can be standing between you and a powerful prayer life, motives, whatever it is. God's speaking to you about something this morning. This is course correction time. That's why we come here. That's why we do this. To make frequent course corrections in our spiritual journey. What course correction do you need to make? As believers are thinking about that, I want to just reach out to maybe only one man, one woman that might be here today. And you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never been adopted into the family of God. Not Florida Bible Church, don't get me wrong. Not church membership. I'm talking about something much greater than that. I'm talking about being a member of God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. You've never done that. And right now, God's presence is knocking on the door of your conscience saying, you need this forgiveness and I brought you here to receive this forgiveness. Well, no one's looking around. Just so we know whether the need is here this morning. No one's looking around. We won't embarrass you anyway. You right now know that you need this forgiveness. Would you slip up your hand and say, Pastor Pete, you're talking to me right now. Yes, I see a hand. Anyone else? Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. You can put it down. 
Yes, I see your hand. Pastor Pete, I need this forgiveness. Anyone else as we wait just a moment? Spirit of God's knocking on the door of your conscience now. He's talking to you. You know that he is. Anyone else? For many of you who raised your hand, we had multiple people raise your hands. Listen, God wants to adopt you right now. That's why I brought you here today. He's given you the opportunity. And the only way to be adopted is to receive his gift of adoption. And the way to do that is through just praying and receiving the gift of forgiveness. Again, the Bible says, if you'll confess Jesus as Lord, in other words, Jesus is the only way back to God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, believe in your heart everything God said about himself, you'll be saved. Right now, would you do that? Pray, God, I want your forgiveness. God, I need your forgiveness. I confess to you, God, that I am a sinner. I have not lived a perfect life. I fall short of what is required to enter into your eternal kingdom. I've not been your son. I'm not your daughter right now, but I want to become your son. I want to become your daughter. And so, God, as best as I understand it, I get it now. I can only do that through Jesus. Only he can be the Lord of my life in this area. And so right now, Jesus, I today am asking you to be my Savior. I'm asking you to pay my sin debt with the blood that you shed on the cross. Jesus, today I am transferring my confidence off of myself or anything else in this world. And I'm putting it solely on what you've already done in dying on the cross and coming back to life from the grave. Jesus, today I call upon the name of the Son of God for eternal life. Now the Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, to any man, any woman who will do that, it says, these things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And what did John 1, 12 say? Yet to those who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God has just eternally changed you. Before you leave the service, those of you who trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. In your bulletin was a little connection card. We talked about it at the beginning of the service if you were here. Make sure you fill out all the information about yourself accurately and legibly. On the back of that card, on the top, it says, My Decision Today. And one of the boxes you can check is that I trusted Christ as my Savior. I want you to check that box. Fill out that card, and on your way out, drop it in the offering kiosk at any of the exits. And here's what we're going to do with it, just so you know. Number one, as a pastoral staff, we're going to pray for you, and we're going to thank God that he brought you to this place of humility and this place of trust and faith. Then we're also going to send you in the mail a little booklet that's entitled, You Can Be Sure. It's a little paperback booklet. You can read it in a few minutes. But it will help to reinforce in your life what Christ did for you today. Father, we thank you for this assembly today. We thank you for the opportunity to praise you. We thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that prayer is real. It's alive. It's powerful. And there's nothing wrong on your end of the deal. It's all on our end. And so, Father, help us to honestly search our hearts. And I pray that we've made the course corrections that you have led us to make. And now help us to leave here excited about prayer. Leave here as men and women of faith, believing that we've already received according to your will. 
Now, Lord, use us for your glory this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In June, I'm going to begin a new series that I'm finalizing right now that I'm real excited to share with you. And I want you to know about it. Next week, we'll have the little invitation cards so that you can begin inviting people. And the name of the series is this. Satan's Most Believable Lies. Satan's Most Believable Lies. You know, Jesus said about Satan, he said his native tongue is lying. And he says he's the father of all lies. And do you know that he's lying to you? And you may not even know it. And in this series, we're going to expose his most believable lies so that you can make sure that you're not fallen hook, line, and sinker to them, and so that you can share with friends and family members the lies he's trying to get them to believe so that we can defeat him and not be controlled by him. Satan's most believable lies, starting the first weekend in June. I'm so glad that you're here today. Let's all stand. As we prepare to leave, don't forget, please share your tithes and your offerings. Be faithful to the Lord in your giving. Thank you for being here today. God bless you. We're going to do the chairs today. All of you who can stay and help us for just a few minutes with the chairs, please do that. Uh, Eric's here. Come up and see him, and he'll get you all set and go. Thank you. God, take us from this place with your mercy, your grace, and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here today.